Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you with two special guests today, Brian Guski and Tim Reynolds. Both are physical therapists. Um, Brian is an outpatient orthopedic physical therapist at the University of Rochester Medical Center, where he works primarily with patients with spine-related impairments. Tim is a clinical assistant professor of anatomy and physiology at Ithaca College, and he's a part-time physical therapist in Ithaca, New York as well, where he predominantly treats patients with spine or lower extremity impairments. So we're here mostly to chat about their book, actually, called Movers and Mentors, Leaders in Movement Science, Share Tips, Tactics, and Stories. Have you ever wanted to ask one of the experts in our field of physical therapy or physiotherapy, depending on where you live, kind of what their life was like? Rather than what they know, there used to be a time where I used to just want to acquire knowledge from these people. And now I really appreciate the book that Tim and Brian have put out because we start to see the human side of of the experts in our field. And this is a great conversation that talks about how we can connect with their stories and gives validation to where we're at as clinicians and as human beings. I think it's an excellent book to have and own and refer to and also one to gift to another clinician. So grab your drink of choice and join us for this conversation. Hi, Brian. Hi, Tim. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Excited to be here today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining me. I'm really excited about having this conversation because I really love when healthcare professionals use their creativity and bring something to benefit the profession still, right? You know, just through personal development and professional development combined. So I wanted to know more about you guys and, and tell us more about how you connected and what inspired this book. Yeah. Uh, My name is Tim. I'm a physical therapist by trade. I'm a full-time professor at Ithaca College. I teach anatomy physiology now. And so uh, Brian and I had an opportunity to go to physical therapy school together. We were both part of Ithaca College's uh, 2014 graduating class. And so when we think back to our sort of origin story, it was probably in organic chemistry or or a bio or something like that. But uh, we had the opportunity to graduate together. We were roommates for a little bit. And then um, after graduation, we both pursued residency. And so we did that at Cayuga Medical Center in New York. And so through uh, a lot of didactic coursework and a lot of uh, weekend courses, um, Brian and I had an opportunity to sort of get a chance to know each other a little bit better. Wow. And so when did you, because I know um, in the States, I'm in Canada, I know in the States it's it's a doctorate program now, right? Like it's a DBT. So like how long was your schooling and when did you officially start practicing? So at Ithaca College where Tim and I both went, 
it was freshman admittance into the program. So it was a six year program kind of straight through. Uh, so you mm -hmm. started as a, as a freshman in the um, doctorate of physical therapy program and did essentially kind of three and a half um, years uh, undergraduate work. And then the remaining was more of our, our graduate oriented um, physical therapy work. Um, so a little bit different than um, most programs. Most programs are like a four and three program, um, mm. four years and three years. So seven years total, but Ithaca was a, a little bit more of a fast track with a six year in that, in that freshman admittance. Yeah, that's kind of nice because um, here in Ontario, it's it's six years. So it's a, a four year undergrad and then a two year master's. So, you know, so you get a doctorate in six years, six and a half years. That's that's great. Yeah, really cool. And so what year did you start practicing? Uh, so we started practicing in 2014. Is that right, Tim? Okay. Yeah, 2014 so, with, uh, with the residency starting 2015. And so... Um, yeah which was nice. I, I, I mean, people talk about the positives and negatives associated with the sort of residency fellowship uh, training. But um, when we, when I think back to the decision in terms of why I wanted to do residency, one of my mentors who's uh, in the book uh, at the end of the chapter, uh, Mike Costello, um, he was one of the driving factors and him and John Winslow, another professor at the college mentioned, it's going to give you five years of clinical experience in a year. And so that concept mm -hmm. of, well, I've just spent six years of investment on my time to try to better myself, to be able to be an entry level clinician where I know nothing about anything in terms <laughs> of clinical experience, if I can get fast tracked in terms of sort of gaining that knowledge and expertise now, that was, that was the selling point for me. Wow. That's actually a great piece of advice. Like just passing that forward from Mike, um, I think that's really good for students to hear or for future providers to hear is that that experience is worth a lot um, in itself, right? Rather than yeah. just. And I know, think Brian, Brian can obviously speak to this a little bit better. Brian, um, being the uh, previous residency director at the University of Rochester, has dealt with a ton of residents through that program. Yeah, that, that's um, I, I just actually stepped down from that position, but I was the director for our um, orthopedic residency program for three years. And, you know, that was one thing that, you know, we always, especially during our, our interviews and kind of recruitment process, the types of questions we would ask, you know, wanting to know the why behind um, a new graduate, for instance, wanting to come and do a residency program. And, you know, we always looked for kind of um, some level of kind of curiosity and, and wanting to to understand um, patients better and understand patients' problems better and get that experience and get that mentorship. So, um, you know, we kind of ask the similar questions, um, you know, <laughs> to, to questions that Tim and I had to ask ourselves back in the day. Right. And so um, after, just like you said, Tim, so now when people go through it, when students go through it, do they feel better afterward? Like, do they feel like they made the right decision? Do they feel like even that was more time, do they feel like it was worth that? I currently still teach in a residency program. And so my clinical practice, even though I'm part-time, I have active mentorship responsibilities and I teach two of our residency courses. And so we'll watch the transition of a student from January to December in preparation mm -hmm. for them to graduate our residency program, then sit for orthopedic certification. And I would say their confidence growth, and granted, with any sort of uh, continuous repetition, you'll mm -hmm. gain confidence. But watching the clinical decision-making skills that a relatively new graduate has, I think having the opportunity to troubleshoot with um, mentors in the background and be able to sort of spitball ideas off of these quote-unquote um, experts, if you would, within certain areas of specialty that allows right. for them to navigate some of those speed bumps a lot quicker. And I think it's mm -hmm. that pattern recognition and adaptation to X, Y, and Z downfalls that they are able to, I think, be a step above their peers. Because I remember being post-residency and having conversations with some of my classmates that I graduated mm -hmm. with. And they were getting introduced to uh, concepts probably three years after Brian and I were having sort of already gone through all of that training. Wow. Um, and granted, the, the PT curriculum has changed significantly, even in the past uh, five to 10 years. Concepts regarding like pain science and pain communication and stuff like that are significantly better. Um, the mindfulness, I mean, yeah, 
think about your book in terms of communication is care, right? So um, (laughs) understanding the influence that that has on our patient's outcomes, um, that was something that we sort of glossed over in our doctoral training. And so, no, I think think everybody that goes through the experience comes out with a lot of benefit. Yeah. And it sounds like it's super like well-rounded. You know, they just come across as just growing overall more and more. Um, so that's that's great. I think that's I, I would I mean, we all got like I, I shouldn't say we gear, we're not guaranteed time. But when you're that young, like to me, looking back, like another year for all of that valuable experience to me just makes sense. So you're both in the orthopedic field, like that's your specialty, would you say? I don't think in Ontario, we're allowed to claim a specialty unless we've gone through a specialty program. But in the States, you're able to say like you're a specialist in orthopedics. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So after okay. um, you can call, you can say you're a specialist um, after you sit and pass your orthopedic certified specialty exam or uh, neurologic uh, specialty exam or cardiopulmonary. So we have different kind of specialties within within the field and you have to either fulfill a certain amount of years in practice or go through a residency program in order to, to get that specialist certification. Okay, cool. And so when you guys came together to write the book, can you tell me about that moment <laughs> where you guys thought, hey, uh, you know, let's do something with with all of this valuable information? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Tim and I were actually going through residency together when we came up with the idea. We were being uh, force-fed, in lack of a better phrase, <laughs> a lot of uh, information and content um, in you know the physical therapy space and uh, we started seeing a lot of kind of reoccurring names coming up, researchers, business leaders, innovators within the, within the field. Stu McGill being one of them, uh, John Childs, uh, Peter O'Sullivan, David Butler. A lot of these these names just kept coming up, and you know we thought there was something to that. And uh, we were mm-hmm. also reading a book called uh, Tools of Titans by Timothy Ferris at the time, which is kind of a similar interview type book uh, where he interviews leaders and business um, innovators and influencers from various different sectors, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Brene Brown, uh, Tony Robbins, kind of really uh, high level individuals. Um, And we both really liked that book. And so one day, you know, I turned to Tim and I said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a book like this that just pertained to physical therapy and kind of our interests. And um, so we kicked that around for a couple of years. And then in 2018, we kind of sat down and decided we were going to do it. We put together a list of names. We're calling a lot of those names that you know were coming up during our residency training, but then added a lot of new names, put down a list of questions that we wanted to ask them and sent out many, many emails. And <laughs> from there, we were, we were rolling. So did everyone respond of all, like you have a, quite a list, like it's quite exhaustive. Yeah. Did, did everyone get back to you or were you... It's, it's one of the one of the challenging things at the time, Jen, is that the world really shifted in the three months when we started to send out some of these emails. So, like Brian yeah. said, we we sort of created this dream team, if you would, of uh, clinicians that we thought would be valuable not only for sort of the contributions that they made for the profession, but what sort of insight would they be able to provide young adults, students, and current practicing clinicians? Um, and so. As we're coming up with that list of individuals, we had no idea how this would be received in the physical therapy community. Um, really? I think it's one of those things. Well, it's uh, one of those things. Tell like me more. We, we, yeah. we, we, we sit down, we have this idea. We're just two kids that just in <laughs> residency. Um, and we're like, I think this would be super cool. But um, who are we in the world of physical therapy at the time? Uh, right? And so for us to yeah. send an email to someone like Peter O'Sullivan or Shirley Sarman and expect them to respond to us, uh, um, that, I mean, there was a lot of own personal growth and development during that time frame also. And our sort of comfort level in terms of the ask has, um, I'd say, greatly changed in the past two years. But we're sending out these emails initially, and we sent out a couple at a time. And then I remember Brian and I calling each other, and it was like <laughs> kids on Christmas morning about how excited we were that someone got back to us. I think it was Adrian Adrian Lau got back to Brian, and Louis Pontador got back to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> so we, we, take these, we take these initial responses, but then we're sort of navigating the fact that some of our 
some of the individuals who were emailing had the Australian wildfires. And so that was right mm-hmm. at the start of 2020. And so a lot of that Australian cohort who are sort of movers and shakers, if you would, within the physical therapy realm had other stuff on their plate, which then segued right into the global pandemic. And so one of those things um, to take in consideration is, um, yeah, we had a pretty big master list. By no means is that list completely inclusive um, because the book would be a thousand pages or 5,000 pages long if we tried to include everybody that's influenced the profession in some way, shape or form. But at the same time, we had some people say, no, I'm just too busy at at the moment or I'm on sabbatical. I've I've told myself I'm not taking on other responsibilities, which is perfectly valid and fair. Um, Mm -hmm. And so while we did capture a lot of individuals within this book, this is not necessarily a complete final iteration of movers and mentors, because um, there are still movers out there that we have not had an opportunity to talk to. And in the next five years, there's going to be a whole new set of clinicians that are changing and challenging the profession to move forward. Right. But hopefully you like this continues to lead others, right? And I got to say, when I wrote my book, I had to reach out to like some executives, um, you know, at certain organizations about it and stuff. And I would just simply reach out and I would meet with the CEO, let's say. And when I would tell people these stories, they were like, you actually reached out to a CEO. Like they were so, and I said, yeah. And I said, they were actually quite pleasant and they were very approachable. And it's so interesting how we can talk ourselves out of opportunities sometimes you really got to follow, I, I find that giddiness, like you guys had that giddiness about, yeah, where you were like, this is so cool. Um, you know, this would be great to do. And then, but we can sometimes sabotage that momentum, right? So yeah, I'm glad you, you didn't let that happen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's like bias or fear that that happens. And Tim and I definitely had both of those things, you know, when we started yeah. sending out emails, like we, we talked ourselves out of the, the plan a couple on a couple occasions. And and finally, we're just like, we just got to, you know, we just got to click yeah. send and just see what happens. And, you know, and then, yeah, I would say and compared to what we we thought um, going into this this process, we, there was overwhelming support and an overwhelming number of, um, you know, responses compa- compared to what we thought. Because these are really busy, you know, people that we were reaching out to and, and you know, people that have a lot on their plate. And for them to take an hour to talk to us was, was awesome. So we're very, very mm-hmm. grateful. Um, but yeah, as yeah. you said, Jen, it's like, you, sometimes you just got to put yourself out there and, and see what happens. Yeah. yeah, it's like the, it's really stepping out of your comfort zone there. And even the no's were like, I can't right now, right? So, I mean, there could be a second edition, probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> as time goes on. Um, so it was a phone interview? Because there was a lot of questions that you were asking, right? There was about, at least 10 or so that there were certain questions you guys had asked. Yes, yeah, yeah. so there's a sort of a combination of stuff that we we wanted to not be uh, more of an inconvenience that, that we were already right. Were, that's uh, that's what I'm getting of, at. Like, <laughs> what was the method? Or <laughs> so okay. uh, so uh, obviously, there's this initial uh, cold call email that we reached out, seeing is there an interest level of being willing to participate in this project, and then from there, understanding that. Like Brian said, they have their own schedules that they have to navigate and they have a whole bunch of other things on their plate. And sometimes it's different time zones. Sometimes it's different countries. And then Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. academia on top of research, on top of clinical care. And so um, we did conduct a large majority of our interviews via Zoom, um, which was great because then we have to have an opportunity to have dialogue and communication that wasn't necessarily entirely scripted. One of the benefits of that is that we were able to sort of navigate the conversation in different areas and then be able to sort of see how things flowed. One of the negatives associated with that is if you try to transcribe an hour and a half uh, Zoom interview, um, you're sitting there probably four times the length of the interview and the time it takes to transcribe it. Oh, um, they don't have software for that yet, eh? Uh, <laughs> like it, audio I, to print. They do, but it's not, it's not great. Yeah, there's a lot of, oh, mis- no. a lot of misspelled words that you just yeah. you're correcting so much that you think, I'm just going to type this thing out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and so, so there's a good portion that we did that way. Some people chose to um, type their responses. And if I were in that situation, that might be more of my route if I was being interviewed. Um, because some of the questions that we ask are tough. And I think yeah. it's one of those things to sort of come up with those off the off the cuff might be a little bit more challenging. Um, and so sort of a good mix in terms of our responses. What was the one question or maybe one or two questions that you were most 
like excited to ask or you wanted to learn more mostly about I, I'm sure they all meant like importance to you right but uh was there one that kind of like you were just like I wonder what their responses will be to this yeah I think mine and Tim might agree with this but he probably has another one in mine too was um <laughs> favorite failure was really yeah. really interesting um I mean really kind of the full spectrum um from some of our guests referencing specific uh, patient cases that they failed on that taught them a lot. That was kind of a turning point in their career. Um, some not getting into physical therapy school for several, um, <laughs> several times, uh, but then finally getting in and realizing that, you know, that's where I, I needed to be. Others failing their board exams and having to do special training and that special training can be under some kind of mentor that then guided them on a new track that changed their career path. So it was really, really interesting um, to hear about, hear about failures and more interesting to hear about what, what kind of track or avenue it put that, that person on thereafter. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of piggybacking off of that, being in academia and having the opportunity to influence so many students. Um, so I have roughly 180 students that take um, the introduction to anatomy and physiology um, during an academic year. And the type of individual that sits in my class is typically more of a type A personality that wants to succeed, that tries really hard. And I think normalizing the concept of failure with regards to this subgroup of our healthcare, like the future of our healthcare, is really valuable because I think failure gets such a negative connotation and then is not necessarily associated with growth and development. It's always focused on the negative repercussions associated with it. And so mm -hmm. to be able to share, like Brian was saying, some of these stories in which like, it's okay that you failed. How are you going to, how are you going to bounce back off of that? I think that's mm -hmm. what's really valuable. And one of the things I hope that our students our young professionals that read the book have a chance to sort of appreciate in terms of some of the other questions, I, I, I think not necessarily one question in particular, but I appreciated the breadth of questions that we asked that weren't necessarily clinical in nature. Um, yeah, because I think when I you sort of, when you go and you go on Instagram, for instance, there's so much content that's being sort of force fed like a fire hose um, that mm -hmm. there's so much information that you're able to receive. And Obviously, it's up to the viewer in terms of whether or not they want to uh, disseminate that as valuable uh, clinical advice or whatnot, but no one's really sharing what's the three books that influenced their life, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you had to navigate a stressful situation, what do you do? And I think it's one of those things that obviously we can look to motivational speakers, kind of like Brian was talking about. Arnold Schwarzenegger or Tony Robbins or some of these, mm -hmm. Brene Brown puts out these inspirational quotes. I think we expect those kind of responses from those individuals, but that's not necessarily our direct sphere of people that we might be following. And so it's nice to be able to humanize, if you would, some of these individuals that we see as movers and shakers within our profession and understand that they're more than just the three back exercises that they broadcast right. all the time. And so I think the, the more everyday person kind of normal conversation questions were the ones that I really appreciate as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, for me too, like I, I was going to say that the questions were not so clinical, right? Like they were, they were really just about, like you said, just humanizing healthcare providers and uh, movers and shakers in this uh, particular profession. Um, and I think that's pr partly maybe why you got such a great response as well, I think, is because you have to wonder if, you know, if a, a student or a future therapist w were to have the opportunity to meet with one, you know, I think... It, it would be a lot of it would be clinically focused, right? Like they would just kind of acquire as much knowledge as possible, but just to ask them questions like human to human, I think it's a good opportunity for them to also showcase that part of themselves as well, which we don't learn about, right? And I think we associate as clinicians failure um, with harm, you know, when, you know, in, in terms of patient safety and in school, you know, and, and maybe in, in post-grad courses and things like that, we associate it with being inadequate and not being enough. Right. And, um, you know, I've seen this competitive side to, to physiotherapy and the culture of it, 
And, you know, I'm hoping that that's why I've, I've done this podcast to kind of contribute in my way, uh, because I think we're all more alike than we are different, regardless of our, you know, expertise and our titles. Um, and it's kind of just, um, yeah, that when I started this podcast, I actually took away from a lot of people in personal development as well in the podcasting industry. And I'm just kind of like, you know, and I'm applying this stuff in my own everyday life. And, you know, other clinicians asking me kind of how I'm maintaining, you know, preventing burnout and how I'm, I'm continuing to maintain motivation and things like that in my personal life. I thought, you know, it really is a, a combination of things. It wasn't because of a, of my clinical experience per se, um, or my clinical knowledge, right? It was my just whole, my whole being. So. I think it's, I think that's one of the valuable things that looking back when we were sort of navigating PT school, these were the conversations that weren't really being had. Um, exactly. Like, I don't remember, and Brian, I, you can sort of jump in. I don't really remember a conversation about burnout or like burnout really being a hot topic at that point in time. But then I remember being on rotation and being like, man, this sort of like gets old kind of quick when you see 25 patients in a day. Yeah. Am I going to be able to do this for the next 35 years? I really don't think that that's a feasible life choice. And so I think having those resources like your podcast, like your book, like these conversations that we're asking these individuals allows for that idea of, no, those feelings that you're having, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Because I think those are conversations that are also kind of taboo, um, especially when you say, I just spent six or seven years, I just spent potentially upwards of $300,000 on this potential career choice. And I'm already questioning whether or not this is something I want to be doing. And yeah. so how do I come to my professor and say, hi, so-and-so, I really don't think this is for <laughs> me or to your parents or to your cohort, because it's that concept of, did I fail? Did I, right. what's wrong, what's wrong with me that I'm not getting the satisfaction associated with this. Yeah. And so I think being able to see, and one of the questions that we ask is, when you're feeling overwhelmed, like, what do you do? What do you ask yourself in order just to reset? And that's like a low key way of potentially talking about burnout without saying the burnout word. And so mm-hmm. having that opportunity to say, okay, well, these are the strategies that Tim Flynn uses. And, and this is what Josh Cleland does amongst publishing like a million articles, right? How does, right. how did these individuals in the status that they have with all the responsibility, how do they stay fired up about the profession. And so I think that's one of those things that, yeah, kudos to you for sort of taking that initiative in terms of trying to be a voice and be a resource, because I think it's, Mm -hmm. if we can have a a more accepting conversation associated with that, it will not necessarily be this dark cloud associated with the healthcare industry. Right. Yeah. And even going back to what you said about social media and, and just it being so content driven in some cases. I think partly some of that is to um, market to potential clients maybe as well. But I know for me, I've stopped like following a lot of that type of content because it wasn't, it's not what I'm most interested in. Um, but I mean, I, I I still obviously have to have the knowledge and the competency and all of that stuff. It's just not where I choose to put all of my you know, spare time in, right? <laughs> you know, we're on their phones a lot. We're, we're scrolling social a lot. Um, so I just like to see more diverse, more whole content out there. So yeah, so and that's really why I was excited to have you guys on this podcast too, because you've validated a, a lot of what people are feeling out there. And one of the stories I read um, on your website by Shirley Sarman, like, absolutely loved that story like for her to like you know i wouldn't have imagined her having said that like admitting that her her brother had been killed and like talking about like that to me like that's powerful like that's what i want to hear more about as a clinician or those stories where people have experienced either trauma or they've experienced um lived experiences that while they were trying to better themselves and get their education and and help others they were still resilient during that time. So uh, yeah, her story really touched me. I really liked that one. So yeah, she yeah. gave, she gave um, a, a great interview, great information. Um, yeah. And very, very insightful and just so much experience. And one thing that you um, mentioned earlier, Jen, about, 
kind of the the conflict or competition or kind of the the, the discussion amongst individuals of different treatment paradigms. And Tim and I definitely we were well aware when we were sending out these emails. We were like, okay, we're including um, you know some really heavy like pain people, some really heavy uh, you know spine stability people, some really heavy uh, motor <laughs> control, just you know kind of uh, across the map, uh, postural restorative institute, PRI, you know, we, we included everyone, but we, we did that for a reason. And that's because we wanted to, we wanted our book and the questions to be agnostic of whatever treatment, you know, paradigm you're in or whatever philosophy you're in. We wanted to get to the human oriented questions like we were talking about before. Um, and yeah, I mean, Tim and I joke, if we wanted to go look and see how um, Stu McGill or uh, Shirley Starman progresses, you know, their, their abdominal strengthening programs. We can, I can search that on Google and probably exactly. find it and, and learn <laughs> it. But if I want to know Shirley Starman's greatest failure or um, her recommendation to, to new young professionals, um, that's something that you can't find. And that's, uh, that's really kind of the, um, at its origin, the, the purpose of this book is to really get to those, those things that you can't find anywhere else. So um, yeah, she, that was uh, a very powerful uh, interview with Shirley. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and like, and that's what helps your readers to connect. Right. And, uh, you know, and then they might research her more and more, right? Like, <laughs> they'll just be yeah. uh, more intrigued by her and they might discover something about themselves that, like you said, um, Tim, earlier, if people feel like they're failing the profession, but rather maybe their sparks just not been lit yet. Right. And it could be that story that does that. Yeah, I mean, you sort of just touched real quick on and maybe they'll do some research on on her and find out more. And I think that's also part of the excitement associated with this project that there's individuals in here that are not necessarily known within the profession, right? And obviously, if you ask a hundred different clinicians, they'd have a hundred different movers and shakers that they perceive should be part of this project. Um, but when we look through and sort of figure out who did we want to interview, there was no, Brian and I've joked about this before, there's no spreadsheet where we said there's Okay, they published six articles, check. So they've done that and they're, they're a professor <laughs> at this check, right? So there's no, there's no criteria no, that way. There's no criteria associated with that. So, um, so obviously there's a lot of like uh, freedom of choice, but also a lot of responsibility in terms of how do we sort of navigate the situation. But institutions like the National Association for Black Physical Therapists, we had the opportunity to interview both of their founding members. Oh, and I think awesome. it's one of the things that when we look at sort of diversity, the diversity associated with healthcare and mm -hmm. who has a voice within our profession, that's one of those things that I hope that there's students of color that read this book and then say, oh, wow, this is an institution or this is an organization that might be able to speak to me. Or if right. someone wants to, we talked about like different um, sort of uh, silos of practice where there's pain and uh, individuals who predominantly focus on pain rehab uh, or pain research and then stabilization or MDT and all these other sort of subclassifications. If that is an interest for them, I hope that they now go and research those individuals. So I hope that it brings yeah. a whole new clientele, if you will, to yeah. these different movers and shakers, because essentially you're getting 75 plus mentors in one book, right? And so exactly. you're able to pick and choose and sort of cherry pick who do you want to speak your language and then potentially dive into their research or their articles or their blogs or podcasts or whatnot from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and get excited about it. Yeah, like it could really reinvigorate someone. Um, I, I think it was Robin Sharma and maybe other people have said this too, but oftentimes people will say, you know, when you read a book, you're basically having a conversation with the author. So this really is like a way for readers to have a conversation with all of um, with all of the people you've interviewed. And for sure, like you said, Tim, anybody who picks up the book and reads the book will be able to connect with at least one or recognize the name of at least one person because you've had such a, a big sample of, of um, guests, which is amazing. So what has been the feedback from people who've read the book? Have you heard much from other clinicians or have non-clinicians even read it just to see and just learn some well, my, lessons my grandma on life? Three, my, my grandma has uh, three copies. So uh, she's a really, oh, I hear big, you. really big fan of the book. When we publish this, family's the best. And then I joke that we'd sell at least five copies, and two of them would be my parents, two of them would be Tim's parents, and then we would each buy one. So that, I guess that would be six, but uh, no, it's been... <laughs> 
it's been it's been really good we've we've gotten great feedback um again just um you know thanking our everyone that has um bought the book and you know reached out and told us told us about it and kind of you know how it's making them think more about certain things and we've had some guests send us pictures through um social media of them like highlighting and, and writing notes in it and taking you know using sticky notes um you know kind of using it as morning morning motivation some people are telling us um it's been it's been really cool it's it's, it's been a neat experience for both of us and i think one of the other thing that's exciting is um obviously hearing back from our readers but when our contributors get excited that is that's so rewarding i think um just for all the effort that we've put into this project and so we'll see um when someone received their copy of the book like when we sent a desk copy if you would to to that individual and they post something about so excited to have the opportunity to put my hands on this and dive into this uh been waiting to see this and to see the people that we perceive as our sort of pt heroes yeah. um get excited to read either about what they wrote or read about the other individuals within the book. That's been awesome uh, as well. And like Brian said, I'd say overall really positive, um, starting to sort of navigate certain schools. I want to include in part of their professional development curriculums and stuff like that. Um, Because I do think it is one of those things that would be valuable. This would be a book that I would have read when I was in PT school and would have found value. And Brian said it before where, we created a book that we wanted to read and mm-hmm. having that sort of confidence and truth within that statement. Um, yes, this is a book that I would read because I think it is that valuable of a resource. And if I can find it and flash back to uh, 2013, 2014, when I needed a little bit of guidance in my physical therapy career, like you said, uh, Jennifer, there would want at least one individual that would have spoken to me and I would be able to sort of take guidance within their words. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say it would make a great gift for a student, like as a clinician in mentoring a student. Uh, and I was, I can totally picture you guys like book signing at universities and colleges um, because I, I really think, and I had interviewed um, Josh Cutler, who's a social worker a few weeks back, and he wrote a memoir about his struggle with mental health. And he's a social worker. He's a you know a licensed psychotherapist, and he's um, he's making some big waves in accessibility to for for healthcare providers and people in general to access mental health services through telling his story. And I just I think it's just so powerful. Like these are the books that we need to see more in education because yeah, you you could read it and refer back to it for for years to come, like through school, but also beyond that as well. I keep uh, I keep a copy on my desk, and so I, I have an open yeah. door office hour policy, and so if my door is open, feel free to stop by. And yeah. um, I'll not necessarily just have students from this current semester come in, but previous students that I've taught. And there was at one point one student that was talking about um, sort of the concept of imposter syndrome and not really feeling like they were they're surrounded by all these clinicians in this room and how am I supposed to be stepping up to the plate and treating to the level of my preceptors. And I flipped to Mike Reynolds chapter and he has closing thoughts where he talks about how to become an expert. And I'm like, you're going to read this. I'm going to go heat up my lunch, but we'll have a conversation <laughs> when I'm back. And so I gave him, I gave him the copy of the book and I just said, read, read this paragraph and a half. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. That makes me feel a little bit better. And it's one of those things that it's like, uh, you can read this as a novel. You could start and go from yeah. beginning to end, or you could use it like an encyclopedia and go through and highlight everybody's failures and then try to navigate which one of those speaks to me. Or you can go person by person and then revert back to the stories that you need sort of to refresh yourself with. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a great, great sort of resource for those students and it has been a good resource for me to be able to sort of call upon. That's great. So tell me too, like now, now you guys have done all of this. Um, you've combined your own experiences, I'm sure, and have connected with each and every one of these contributors. Um, so if you had somebody who was mentoring under you, so whether it's your students um, or whatnot, what is like the one thing that you would really want them to walk away from your uh, from their experience with you knowing? Um, what do you think is one thing that they really would need to know right now. And I mean, this could always change, right? But currently, based on where you're at and all that you've done and accomplished so far. 
I mean, I think I think it's one of those things that if we are speaking to the book specifically, one of the commonalities is that everybody fails. Right. And it's and so I think if I had to share like what's one message from the book, it'd be everybody fails and how you perceive that failure and how you navigate that failure sort of dictates your future. And so do you accept that failure and then leave it at that and don't necessarily try to learn or grow and develop from it? Or do you embrace this failure and then try to figure out what's the next path that this leads me down? Right. Brian mentioned it earlier where, yes, I failed my board exam, and but then that set me up with mentorship, which then led to me taking on X, Y, and Z job. And so mm-hmm. understanding that sort of everything happens for a reason, as cliche as that sounds, but the concept of everybody fails, I fail, you fail, you're walking in the footsteps of everybody that's been before you and understand that those footsteps, even though they might be large at times, everybody's been there. And I think that that would be sort of the com- one of the common themes that I would share to others or to my own sort of mentees, if you would, as they're trying to read this book. Awesome. Love that. How about you, um, Brian? Yeah, this, this, is, <laughs> this is tough. Um, but I, it was kind of alluded to a few times throughout the book, this concept of, of finding things that excite you, find things that bring you joy, um, and try to do more of those things. And so I guess I would want, um, if I were mentoring someone, um, to come out knowing that each of us has kind of a unique set of um, abilities or uh, superpowers, if you will. We're all really good at some things. Not everything. Nobody's good, you know, really good at everything, but everyone's really good at some things. And how do you align those things with your your personal mission and your purpose? Uh, and if you can do that, and if you can marry those things, if you can align your unique abilities and your superpowers, if you will, with kind of your your personal career uh, mission or your professional mission, I think that's when you really stay engaged, and I think you're you're happiest and you're feeling the most fulfilled with your. Um, with your professional life, at least. I think if those two things are disjointed or or they don't align, then that's when you struggle and that's when you feel disengaged or that's when you might feel burnout or that's when you feel, you know, you don't want to go on that path anymore. Um, So I think if, and that that takes talking to people, that takes doing research, um, you know, certainly takes doing your due diligence to have conversations about what opportunities are out there and what, you know, within the physical therapy space, what opportunities are there. Um, but if you can, if you can align those things, your abilities with your your mission and your purpose, then I think that's when you're happiest. Yeah, I totally can echo that. And also too, like when you, when they don't align and they, they are disjointed, I think is also helpful. Um, and, you know, kind of going back to what you said, Tim, a little bit in terms of failure, right? It's not necessarily a failure, but I think it's a redirection. And I think it's just so important to stay in tune with yourself. Like you said there, if it's not aligning, then there's something that's off. Um, and, you know, seek the help to kind of get back on track. Karen Litzy, uh, one of our yeah. contributors, mentioned the concept of saying yes to something is saying no to something else. And I think mm-hmm. you sort of tie that, what Brian and Jenny Freer's both talking about in terms of does that line up with your, does that line up with your values? Does that line up with your joy? Does that line up with who you are as an individual? And I think, um, I mean, one of the things I struggle with personally is um, the concept of saying no, right? So Mm -hmm. you can say yes to so many things and take on so many opportunities, but then that is saying no to either you, your family members, your friends, your um, mental health, right? And so that idea of, yeah, find joy because if that lights you up on the inside, then that's going to allow for you to take on X, Y, and Z responsibilities in the future because you've sort of taken care of yourself more. And so I think mm-hmm. that idea, especially in healthcare, especially in today's day and age with everything that's going on and the trials and tribulations associated with um, insurance policies and COVID-19 mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff, are, we need to be better compassionate people to ourselves. And I think that understanding of what do we need to do to sort of take care of you? um, Mm -hmm. I think that's more important now than ever. So yeah, um, even for me, like if I get excited by things, and, and I say yes to them, like I'm becoming more aware of the fact that even if they all could potentially bring me joy, 
um, I'm, I'm being becoming more aware of the fact that they're still going to take energy and they're still going to take time for me or something's going to give, like you said, if it's going to be my own well-being. So I'm, I'm learning that. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning more, more about that for myself. And um, I'm learning. It's been hard, but <laughs> I, I'm doing it. So if you guys could sit down with anybody in, in the world, like I know you, you're quite versed in the personal development space too. If you could sit down with anyone and ask them any of these questions as well from your book, who would it be? Just one person. It doesn't have to be the right person, just whoever you're thinking about right now that comes to mind. Oh boy. That's, uh, that's, that's <laughs> I wish, a good I wish people could see you guys right now. <laughs> just how you're reflecting. I love so, it. So... <laughs> um, obviously my answer would probably change every day or within the hour um, when yeah. I, was, I reflect <laughs> on it more. One of the things that I've been working on myself and Jennifer, you're talking about sort of, I'm working on the opportunity to say no to things and just my own sort of personal mental health and well being. I, re- I recently read daring greatly from Brene Brown. Um, oh, yeah. And I was like, you're speaking my language. Like everything mm-hmm. you're saying is like coming up with X, Y, and Z that yeah. um, speaks to me. And so as I'm trying to figure out my own self more and actually allowing myself to become vulnerable enough, I think the conversations in regards to vulnerability and shame and understanding that you talk about taboo, like we were talking about burnout being taboo, we talk about shame mm-hmm. and vulnerability being taboo, right? So oh, yeah. if I could sit down and have dinner with Brene Brown and let her sort of deconstruct me as a person a little bit more, that'd probably be a worthwhile conversation. So I think that would be a really good conversation. <laughs> I think you'd walk away like a whole new person. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Um, I just finished a book called uh, Change Maker by John Berardi, who is the uh, one of the the founder, one of the founders of um, Precision Nutrition. Um, it's okay. called Change, Change Maker, Turn Your Passion for Health and Fitness into a Powerful Purpose and a Wildly Successful Career. Um, and he, I've listened to his, a few of his interviews about the book, uh, and he's very insightful. He's very transparent in that he's an introvert, and I'm also kind of an introvert. Um, and he talks about how he navigated that in the early kind of startup days of Precision Nutrition when he was having to juggle uh, you know, multiple things and wear multiple hats and how... Um, he felt like he was just working and working and not um, fulfilling his kind of true, true purpose and mission. So uh, if I could sit down and have a, uh, I don't think he drinks coffee, but if I could have a coffee and maybe he, maybe he could have tea um, and uh, if we could chat, chat about life, I think that would be really insightful. It sounds like it. Dare I ask you really what's next for you both? Like really, <laughs> you guys are super busy. Like, let's be honest. And you've put so much into this work over the last few years, um, or are you just enjoying it right now? Uh, well, the, this probably turns into another conversation with my, uh, my therapist in terms of my uh, my quest for my quest for dopamine. Uh, and so, um, no, I think I think this has been such an awesome platform. Um, in all seriousness, and this opportunity has been something that, when I reflect on this past year, talking about things that fill you up from an emotional joy standpoint, never have I ever perceived that this would be where I would be at with regards to talking about a book that Brian and I put out, right? So I never, never imagined this being one of our sort of ventures because we've had many conversations about things that we wanted to do and uh, to actually see this one uh, follow through was great. Um, In terms of what's next, in terms of movers and mentors, there are more movers and mentors that we would like to get in touch with. So I having the opportunity to potentially explore um, maybe a second iteration of this project would be something in the near future. We've sort of kicked around the idea of uh, starting a podcast and potentially having a little bit more uh, audio associated with these conversations. Um, and so I think that is something that um, as we look at our time allegation to uh, <laughs> we're, we're able to give um to ourselves, but also to this project, if we have time to potentially pursue that also, um, we're looking into that. So wonderful. Yeah, I could totally see the podcast um, evolving from this. How about you, Brian? Yeah, same. Same. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of where we want to take movers and mentors, we would definitely like to do a second uh, volume, if you will. Um, There's so many people that we have now come across or met just having gone through this process that we now want to reach out to. 
also have some other ideas about maybe um, different kind of study aids or clinical, uh, you know, more clinical oriented books that we'd like to maybe put together as well. So we got a long list um, that we're, we're, we're working our way through. But yeah, in the, in the near future, probably a podcast, hopefully, um, so we can have more uh, in-depth conversations and hopefully a second book. Wow, that's awesome. Well, it's been so nice having you both here. I could chat with you a lot longer about all of this. Um, you know, I just find one topic leads to another. <laughs> um, but where can people pick up the book? Where can they buy it? They can find our book on Amazon. Everything is right through Amazon. Um, we have a Kindle version as well as um, paperback version. Um, they can search us uh, at moversandmentors.com and they can go on our website and that will give a sample of the book. Um, give a little bit more uh, about the book. And then also there's links to Amazon on there. Um, we're at Movers and Mentors on Instagram and Twitter as well. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy your Twitter. Um, I'm mostly present on Instagram. I really enjoy your Instagram posts of um, just the clippets that you share. Yeah, really, really good. So I highly recommend people follow them. Because uh, again, those are I just find you post them almost daily. So they're, they're a good dose of inspiration as well uh, for Thanks, clinicians Jennifer. too. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. I wish you both the best in the near future. I know there's a lot more to come. And uh, yeah, just thanks for inspiring the future generation. I appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having us, Jen. We really thank appreciate you, it. Thank you. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.